What's happening, guys? Happy Tuesday, and thank you for joining another special episode of Your Welcome. Guys, I reacted to UFC 287 on Sunday, but as predicted, there's a lot more to come out since Saturday night. So coming up on today's show, I want to do a little bit of a deeper dive into the pay-per-view from the weekend and take a look at some of the biggest storylines, like will Alex Piera get another middleweight title shot, or will somebody else step in? Is George Masvidal actually retired? It's also an issue, and I should call it advice I'd like to give, to Rollo Rosas Jr. Lots to get to today, but first, let's begin here. Did Izzy go heel? Did Adesanya switch to heel on Saturday night? Alright, Adesanya gets the win. He then has a piece of theater with Alex's son. Now, I would have missed this. Like, Izzy went down, you guys see this? Izzy went down, like he's out cold, mimicking his opponent, rolled into his back and popped up with a nip up. By the way, having commission officials way too close and almost interrupt him, he pulled the whole thing off. It was actually beautiful. I didn't know that that was a receipt being given to Alex's son. I found out when Blahal Mohammed went to Twitter and brought this to our attention. Now I really like it. Now I, now I rewatch it three or four times. Like in that moment to get off of a guy and to know to do the bow and arrow thing, to take one lap and then know, oh, I got a receipt to give this guy too. Once I'm on the ground, I got to find a cool way to get because the cameras are on me. Like to know to do those things in that order, it just shows you how fast Adesanya's mind works. Don't try going toe to toe with this guy. His mind works a little bit faster than yours does. I thought this was great. We then get to the back, right? They're in the backstage. And there's cameras filming Izzy and Alex. And Izzy is telling Alex that he was a great champion. That he respects him. He was a great champion. Leaves that moment, goes to a press conference, says, no, we're all good. The score is settled. Forget about the three to one. We're set. This is handled. Is that a heel move? Now, I give him a pass for the receipt he handed the little boy. That's the way those things go. Whether it was a minor at the time and it's an adult now, it doesn't matter. That was just a receipt. He didn't touch him. He didn't even say anything to him. That was between them. It just happened to be caught on camera. I personally give him a full pass. In fact, I appreciated it. The comment in the back that you were a great champion. Now, that comes from a point of absolute condescension. The only other person I've heard say something like this was Tito Ortiz. Chuck Liddell took everything Tito had, took his popularity, took his money, took his run, took his belt, even took his fans. And years later, they match up in an event that nearly nobody watched. Tito beat him. And Tito said, oh, no, hey, everything he did in the past, we're square. We're square. I'm now on top. And it's like, well, no, not, not really. Not really. He still beat you twice and you beat him once. Nobody watched this and there was no money on the line. Back when you guys did it, there was all the money. It was for superiority within the perennial division and there was a world championship. Like, no, you're, you're, not, even, you're not even remotely close. Chuck is way ahead. And with that said, you still could turn to Tito and give him his 15 minutes of fame and say, you did a great job. Did a great job, and tonight's your night, and congratulations. But it's one of these things where it was really weird. When Tito said it was really weird, now this is where all the Chuck supporters stood up. 
They were fine with it. They lived with the adjudication. It was the comments after about the one adjudication versus the two and the title and the belt and everything that that meant being even that bothered the Chuck fans. And I'm only bringing you that example because Izzy's now done the same thing. And here's the consequence, okay? If you go heel, which I support, but if you go heel, whatever it is you ask for, the community is now not going to want to get you. Whatever it is that you ask for, they will not want you to get it. You ask for more money, they're going to not want you to get it. You, you, ask, you ask for a weight change, they're not going to want you to get it. You ask for a specific opponent, they're going to not want you to get it. That is the deal that you have with the audience for, for being the bad guy. The bad guy doesn't come out and make a claim and then they go along with you because here's the claim. The claim by Adesanya is we are done. I will never see him again. We're good. We're done. And I'm just wondering if the community views him as heel that means the community will push back on his idea that they're done, thus pushing them toward the trilogy with Piero. Now, the community won't be given an opportunity to push for that unless Piero leads the charge, unless Piero comes out and says, I did this for him, he needs to do it back for me. We never said this one was final. We never said this one is keeps. But if that's the rule you want to play, then I will accept that now. Sign the contract. It's going to be one of these very interesting things. And I have to say that because as I look at this division, it's in a very odd spot, right? You, you, you've got five of the baddest dudes in our entire sport with one thing in common. They don't want to fight each other. Now, we got a whole bunch of divisions with a whole bunch of fake tough guys. This one just has the most. These guys do not want to fight each other. And so I bring that to you because everybody happens to be busy except for Sean Strickland, except for Robert Whitaker, which, by the way, get them together, that's a great fight. But you have to have the champion fight somebody. Nobody's called out Pierre, and nobody will. They should. They never want to call out the loser. They should call out the loser. He's wide open. He's available. They should go after him. But they don't, and they won't, and we're just going to have to wait and see. Putting Whitaker into that spot could happen, but, but it's the last thing that they want to happen. I'm, I'm going to wear it like that and just be nice. Whitaker's involvement in their, in their rematch did not make people happy. I'm going to leave it at that. So what do you do? What do you do with Izzy? What do you do with Pierre? Do you put them back together? And if you don't put them together, how and why? And if you don't put them together and you can establish the how and why, for how long does that purgatory that Pierre sits in have to last? I mean, is he, is he the new Colby Covington where he can't get back into that spot as long as this guy sits at the top of it? If Piero wants it, but they don't want to give it to him, can he, he's still going to be ranked number two. Can he go and fight a guy and possibly another guy and then get it back? Or is it just, ne he can never go back to it? Because if that's the case, tell him now, let him go to 205 pounds. I spoke to somebody that's very close with Piero yesterday. They told me something I had not considered and I did not know, but they know him very well. They said, Chael, he's not going to ask for this rematch. He doesn't even care if he gets the rematch. I said, really? That surprises me. Why would you say this? He said, well, that's just not how his mind works as a competitor. This guy knows him very well. He said, it's not how his mind works as a competitor. If you said to him, do you want to beat Adesanya? He's going to look at you and say, I have beaten Adesanya. And if you say, yeah, but this is for the world championship, he's going to say, but I had that world championship. The way his mind works is once he's climbed a mountain, he wants to then climb a different mountain, which in this case is 205 pounds, which we've expected anyway. We've expected and we've suspected. But it's still a massive talking point. If he's able to leave and go to 205 pounds, 
you're now left with a very obvious, Robert Whitaker is just staring you right in the face, which is a match they don't want to make. Okay. You then have, you guys see where this gets complicated? If Piera stays and you don't give him the title fight, see how things are really complicated now? Why did you not give it to him? He obviously deserved it. He's obviously earned it. So now you're going to tell him to go beat up some other guys in the event that he could then earn it, which he already has, and you're not giving it to him. I mean, do you see the problem? If he leaves, you have just as big of a problem, which is who are you going to give it to? And if you're looking at Whitaker, who's the most obvious guy without a dance partner, you're still looking at a guy that's had the opportunity twice, right? I mean, you're right back in this exact same position. We then have, out of nowhere, I mean, this one came swooping in on a six, Jan Blahovitz. And Jan said to Izzy, I will come to 185 pounds. We will do a rematch. I gave you a shot at my belt. Now we're going to do it again, but at your weight class and for your belt. That's not a terrible argument. It's not. As far as being compelling, and this isn't just my opinion. He put this out on Twitter, and then it shows you how many people have seen it. 2.4 million people have seen it. He's only had 48 hours. In 48 hours, he got 2.4 million people that at least saw it. That's big. That's a big hit. It also appears to be a tell by Blahovitz that he doesn't feel he can get a number one contenders match in his own division. I don't know that he's wrong. I don't blame him for that. I just uh, bring to you that it, it is a tell. He's saying, I've tried. I've done things behind the scenes. It's not looking like it's going to happen for me here. I'm desperate and I'm ready to leave. I don't have a big problem with that. I'm just painting the picture. It's a compelling offer. We have a welterweight that's moving up into the division, right? I mean, that might be where we need to go. We got these five badasses that don't want to fight each other. We might need welterweights to come up. We might need light heavyweights to come down. We're looking in all directions, right? We got Chamaya from Walter coming up to the division, making it red hot, looking as though he's one away from a title shot. I'm just making these suggestions for you because it, it really is a precarious spot. How is Alex going to respond? Is he going to demand a title match? Because if he does, and the audience believes that Izzy's gone heel, they're going to back Piera. And it's going to be loud and it's going to be boisterous. It's going to be very hard to deny. Is that the direction we're going? I wish somebody would just tell us sooner. Because if you tell us and the answer is yes, we can also then go find something for, for Robert Whitaker and Sean Strickland, which should be them fighting each other. We can just go find other things to do. But we need the chips to start falling into place. So let's start at the very top. Who's next for the champ? What do you think? Izzy Adesanya goes to the post-fight press conference. He's taking his victory lap after reclaiming the championship. And he talked about somebody. He said, I'm not even going to say his name, but I will drag his carcass all over Africa. So that was our clue. Africa was somehow a tie-in or a clue, which made Duplices, who's from Africa, believe he was speaking about him. And Duplices has now made that public. Well, you're speaking about me. Here's what you said, and uh, go ahead and try, type thing. To which Adesanya has not responded to say, I wasn't speaking about you. So it appears that he was talking about Duplices. Now, but I got to give you that backstory. Since their names weren't actually, so I, I got to give you that backstory. We're going to assume and operate under the assumption that he did mean that. Now, how do you get Duplices into a world title fight? How do you do that? The rankings don't support that. The crowd doesn't support that. 
Whatever that is where they're fighting over territory of, uh, it's, it's, it's a, a storyline that's going to make most people nervous. How do you get the Plesies into a title fight? Well, you could do it by process of elimination. Addition by subtraction, if you will. Look, let's take a good look at, let's be real fair about something with Izzy. Let's be real fair that we understand he would like some parody. We understand fully that Izzy is not having the most fun with the most motivation in going through the same guys over and over again. I beat him. I beat him again. What do I have to prove? What is this about? What do I get? What do I gain? I mean, at some point, those become very fair questions. And before you give a guy a third opportunity at him, what about the other tough guys who haven't even had a second opportunity with him, right? You understand that, or you see what Izzy's doing, which is, let's just move down the rankings. I don't care that Duplicy is ranked number sixth. He's ranked number one as far as guys that I've yet to face. So in that regard, he does make the most sense. And in that regard, he's actually number one. I don't hate that argument. I did not wake up today thinking that Duplicy's should be fighting for a world championship. However, when I looked at the rankings and I saw that everybody else has had that opportunity. Some guys have had two opportunities. I don't just look at it for the new blood in Duplicis, who's been doing a great job, by the way. Beat Darren Till, who fought for world championships. Beat Derek Brunson, who's been in conversations to be fighting for world championships. I mean, you got to get something for beating up guys like that. I think he even stopped both of them, didn't he? I mean, you get something. You beat a number one contender, generally you get to take his spot. So I'm just sharing for you, I don't hate that idea. In fact, I kind of get it. I don't love the rankings, but I also understand that we don't have to look to the rankings to tell us what to do. We can look to the rankings for guidance, but the rankings don't tell us what to do. They don't tell us what matches to make. They don't tell us what match we have to make. Sure, the champion's opinion matters. Sure, whatever this African matters. Whatever got to him and bother him where he's going to drag his carcass through Africa. I mean, these, these types of things start to matter. And then you look at the idea that Izzy just got out of the ring with a guy who he'd fought before, before, and before that. Izzy hasn't told us very much and he hasn't asked us for very much. But he did say, I'd like to start fighting new guys. When I'm studying and training and watching tapes, I'd like to see the tapes and study and prepare for somebody new that I haven't already fought. That seems like a very small request. And all of a sudden, Duplicis does start to make a lot of sense. All of a sudden, you start to look at number six. We don't generally look lower than five, but there again, the rankings don't control the matchmaking. They're just there for guidance. Izzy has seen everybody else. He's only asked for one thing. There's a way to make all of this happen. Not to mention to pay Duplicis off for beating a former number one contender until for beating perennial contender and Brunson, and, and I think we all need to start looking into that direction. I think that makes a lot of sense. Israel Adesanya, after every single fight he has had, has let us know who his opponent will be next. Nobody has steered their own career like Israel Adesanya. Nobody in the history of this sport has steered their own career. 100% and Adesanya has. And the closest that we got is an unnamed guy whose carcass is going to be dragged through Africa, who has now come out and claimed himself as the person in Duplicis, which would be right in line with Adesanya when the night is over, letting us know what's next. Guys, I think it's going to be Izzy versus Duplicis.
Guys, I can't remember the last time we talked about it. Can't remember off the top of my head the last time we talked about it. I just had an argument with somebody who follows the sport. I told them that Jamal Hill is a champion, and they argued with me and told me he's not. I said, well, if, if Jamal's not the champion, who do you believe is? And they came up on a blank on that one, too. Moreover, I understood the, the point, which is what a small focus. Like, here, if I was to play a different game with you guys, I almost started the piece like this. I was going to say, think of your three favorite fighters of all time. Go quiet. Now, you take a minute. Think of them. But then I would come back and say, all of you unanimously, somewhere in your top three, had a 205-pounder. All of you, when you discuss your favorite fighters ever, would have thrown a 205-pound in there somewhere. But if I was to ask you right now, name five 205-pounders that are active and on the roster, you probably have a hard time. Why is that? Why is that right there? Jamal Hill, I do not know, is in any kind of a talks or back and forth with anybody to be his next challenger. I don't know of it. I mean, for, for a while, 205, I mean, I, I can just take you back five or six months, but we had Blahovitz and Uncle Lyle. And these two were absolutely battling it out, and Lionheart jumped in there, now you got this three-way, and who's going to be next? And there was just all this talk, and there was just all this chatter. I don't hear anybody that's in contention to take on Jamal. As a matter of fact, I've heard from a number of people just today that Alex Pierre should move to 205 and take on Jamal. And I normally would push back on that and say, hey, they're not going to wake a guy up at 185 and move him to 205. He's going to have to do something. Time up here. He's going to have to do something before he gets in there with Jamal. He's not going to be able to come up, come up there and disrupt the current plans. And then it dawned on me, there aren't any. There aren't any by you, the fans. You're not asking so-and-so to fight Jamal. Jamal's not coming out and asking so-and-so to come in here and fight him. So-and-so's not suggesting that he be the guy. And I'm scratching my ankle. Man, I must be missing that. That can't be true. That can't be true. That a perennial division like that would be left that unattended? Jan Blahovitz, who is a rightful number one contender anytime that you want to give it to him, but he is also 40 years old, is now talking about coming down to 185 pounds. I don't blame Jan for that. I like that. I'm just sharing for you. He would have a little more knowledge than we have. And whatever knowledge he has says, I'm not going to be the guy up here. So he pulled him out. Glover came off the table. Prohaska currently hurt. John Jones left the division. I mean, I could tell you a whole bunch of stories on guys that used to be there. I could even make you a very interesting piece on stories as to why those guys are no longer there. But I'm having a really hard time of making a case that involves a story between guys that currently are in that division. And it really is an interesting spot. I mean, if Piera moves up to 205 pounds, 205 pounders aren't going to call him out. Now, that's just fine for Piera. Piera never demanded Izzy. He never demanded to be a main event in a world title fight for millions of dollars at Madison Square Garden. These things happened to him. He came in the organization, kept his head down, knew that he'd beaten the reigning champion twice. He still kept his head down. He was willing to fight undercards, mid-level fights. He was turning down most interviews. But it was one of these things where he really wasn't looking for this grandeur and this attention. He does strike me as a very hard fight. I think that Jamal Hill has one objective, which is to keep that belt as long as possible, make the most money against the easiest opponent of all time. At all times. If he thinks that Pierre is a hard opponent, there's a good chance to knock him off his feet right now. 
if Jamal starts to see the wind blowing and they're going to bring this guy up into my division that I have a problem with, I think he's very good. If Jamal thinks that, Jamal might want him as an opponent. I'm just sharing the other side of the coin. Like, there's a reason to speak up. Speak up for what you want. Speak up for what you don't want. Jamal Hill right now could come out and say, you're going to bring me a guy that just got knocked out at 185 pounds. He got knocked out by Adesanya. Adesanya came to my weight division and got ran out of it. I'm now the king of the division, and you want to bring me that guy's scraps? And right there, he could end the book. He, he could end the book. Pierre is now not coming into that. He's going to have to go and do something else. If Hill didn't want that fight. Now, if he does want the fight, it's a different story. Come on up. Get some smelling salts. Wake up. Freshen up. Eat a little bit. 205 pounds. and beat you up again. I can live with either one. I'm just reporting for you. I don't have either one. I don't have a single comment. I don't know where Prohaska's at with his injury. I mean, we, we were told this to the event that we moved on with the division. I don't think any of that was our business, but we got told it would seem like our business would be the recovery, the process, the physical training, how far you're out, what kind of mobility you got, where you at in your training, what are you doing to stay sharp while this heals? I just think those things would be very interesting. I hear some really good things about Prohaska. I've heard better things about Prohaska since he's found himself in this situation and left the championship, even left the sport for a little bit. King Mo, C.B. Dalloway, just by example, I had private conversations with these guys. They said, man, he's different. He's special. He's a special pace. You can't see it. You can only, you can only feel it when you're in there with him. He has special angles. He's got a special grit. Made me a big Prohaska fan. I just don't know when Prohaska's coming back. And the last thing that I saw was put out by him on social media, and he said the shoulder's doing pretty good. But prior to that, I'm getting reports, right? This is right before they stripped him. He said that he vacated. You guys are really into the idea that he vacated, even though he didn't. Whatever. But we were told that it was the worst shoulder injury that the doctors who looked at him had ever seen. So how do we go from the worst that you've ever seen to a couple months later, we're almost ready? Was he misdiagnosed in the first place? I'm just asking these questions. I'm not asking him to be a jerk. I'm asking him because they're very meaningful pieces of a story to a very meaningful person within a division and that story, like all the rest of them, are radio silent. Now, are they radio silent because that they just don't know what they're doing? That, that could be. Or they're out there telling stories and the stories suck and they, they just don't make it up the headlines far enough. Maybe they got to keep working, right? Babe Ruth struck out sometimes, right? They're not all home runs. You come out with an angle, you come out with a story, you come out with a plan... It backfires. You got to go get another one. I don't know anything about 205 pounds right now, and it's got Jamal's numbers got to be coming up. I mean, these dates are set. These venues are booked. It hasn't been announced to you, but they're still set. They're still going to happen. Who's the top contender at 205 pounds? Who do you want to be the top contender at 205 pounds? Should Piera move up to 205 pounds? If he does, does he go right into a world title fight? Prohaska, is he coming back? Was he misdiagnosed? Should we never strip him in the first place? I mean, these all seem like very relevant questions to me. And generally, for the amount of research I do and studying within the sport, I would have the answers. I would be the one to bring you the answers. But in a rare case, and this is the case, I don't know. Summer is around the corner, and I have found my stride when it comes to my workout routine. Lately, guys, I've been going to a local gym to switch it up a little bit, and FitBod has helped me to keep my workouts fresh and interesting. I'm seeing some really good progress, and I gotta tell you, I'm pretty proud of myself. In this day and age, everything is automatic. Why not your fitness plan too? 
Let FitBot do all the thinking and the planning. You just have to follow along. FitBot is here to eliminate your excuses and to help you get into the routine that your body needs. The FitBot app creates a workout program that's personalized to your goals, fitness level, and available equipment. It learns from your previous workouts and adapts as you improve. It really is like having your own personal trainer. It doesn't matter if you work out in a weight room or in your living room. FitBod has you covered. Learn new movements the right way with over 1,400 demonstration videos all on the app. A full year of FitBod is less cost than a single session with a personal trainer, and that is a deal if you ask me. Guys, there is no better time to level up your fitness habit. Try FitBod today. Get 25% off your subscription and try the app free at fitbod.me slash chael. That's fitbod, F-I-T-B-O-D dot M-E slash chael. Well, apparently Masvidal's retired, right? But I got I have to word it that way. Masvidal's on Errol Hawani's show right this second talking about retirement. So apparently Masvidal is, is retired. I have seen guys, and the reason I say this is Masvidal gave what we all interpreted to be a retirement speech on Saturday, but he never said I'm retired. He didn't even say something that's that, that's meaning equals the definition of retired, such as, I'm done, I'm not coming back, this is the last time you'll see me, I'm not competing anymore, I'm moving on in life. He, none of those things were said. But the world came to the conclusion that he gave a retirement speech. I came to that same conclusion. The only reason I question it is retire, that word specifically, retire, that opens up and activates an entire clause of your contract that does not activate if that word isn't used. So it's it's a big deal. It's a big deal to say that word, as opposed to is taking a break, is going to reassess. None of those things activate a specific clause. So the word retires matter. And the UFC on social media through Twitter announced George Masvidal has retired. And I'm looking around going, if all we're going off of is that interview, no, he didn't. And I even asked that. And I had a guy write to me. I wrote, wrote me on Twitter, called me a clown, told me I was a clown and told me all sorts of people retire without actually using the word like who. How would you know? You were, you were guessing? You're guessing what he meant? Let's talk about Masvidal. The flying knee to Ben Askren changed his life. Is that true? Is that how you guys see it? But that flying knee was a big deal. It was a really big deal. Jumping up in the air and throwing a knee and having it land in five seconds wasn't what was impressive. It was your classic matchup of grappler versus striker. Striker, Your classic matchup, which from 1993 until present time is a one-sided, lopsided, proven massacre favoring the grappler. You then understand the fact that we're attempting to shine up this new special and undefeated trinket. And we're going to use you, a veteran, to do it. Not a great spot. Everybody ends up there. Everybody, sometimes you're doing the job, sometimes you're getting put over. It's just the way that it goes. And then you have the demeanor the entire week. I mean, that was my favorite part of it. The thing that I was most impressed with was George laying a rope-a-dope out all of press week. It started on Tuesday. Hands behind his back to signify peace. Hands behind the back signify you, I can be trusted. 
I'm going to do nothing. My hands are back. Everywhere he went from Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, the weigh-ins, Friday, ceremonial way, everything, he did that. He walked in the ring that way. When the cage door shut, he was that way. His hands behind his back. Signifying trust and peace. When the referee said go, he looked away as though he didn't hear the referee say go. Still signifying, I'm not a threat. And then turns, darts, changes elevation, jumps in the air, and puts him out cold. I mean, it's a huge deal. The knee was a huge deal. The knee got a lot of attention. The knee got broken off and put around the world. Is that his biggest thing? Maybe. Maybe. I believe three-piece in a soda is more commonly known within our industry than the knee. I believe that, but I can't prove it. I believe the moment that George's life changed, because don't forget, he didn't get a whole bunch of money for that knee. But he did get the attention of a young man from Stockton named Nate Diaz, who was big enough and powerful enough in this sport to call his own shots, and he called for Masvidal. He called for East Coast versus West Coast gangster battle that they went and created a title over that was so effective that Madison Square Garden sold out. It was so effective that the leader of the free world showed up. It was so effective that the biggest star in all of Hollywood played a part, and that is the night where he made the whole bunch of money. So that was the moment where he's on everybody's radar. But as far as cashing in goes, he was never there had Diaz not called for him. Now, Diaz wanted to call for him had he not landed the knee. So possibly we need to give the credit to the knee, but still don't, don't make believe that this is where all the money came from. All the money came on a short-notice fight eight days before bell time, seven days before the weigh-in to fly to a different continent and take on Kumar Usman. That's where the payday came. Parlay that performance into another world title fight, and all of a sudden, things are looking very different. So it would be it would be interesting. I just think it's an interesting question. If you were to ask Masvidal, what changed your life? I think he's going to look at what got him the most money, which was agreeing to take on Kamara on short notice. That's the answer to that. But that wanted to happen without the spectacle that was the BMF, which never would have happened without him being called out by Nate Diaz, which never would have happened had he not landed the knee. So perhaps if we keep chasing it back, perhaps it is the knee. But growing the hair, the Versace robe, the whole persona, the whole bit, all of those things were little factors in changing the perception. Getting George a fresh coat of paint, making him look like somebody new, getting him a rebirth, very hard to do, very rare. There's only a few things that have to go into that. I mean, anybody can go out and change their hair, right? Anybody can change their fashion, right? But very few people do it. Very, very few people would ever do that. And it can get you a fresh start. It can make people look at you differently. Masvidal has been nothing but top of the bill since. Absolute must-see TV, main eventer, world title challenger. And if you were to trace all those things back, I suppose the jumping off point was the flying knee. But I would like to hear from you. Of all the George Masvidal moments that you had, that you appreciate, which one stands out the most? interesting situation. Gilbert Burns goes out, he gets he gets a win over Masvidal. I mean, he beat, he beat a BMF champion, but doesn't 
become the BMF champion. You, you know my problems with that, but I mean, let's just look at it from Gilbert's standpoint, right? That, that would suck. That would suck to be the champion, but you don't get to become champion. I mean, it's one of those things, not the hill I want to die, and I'm just bringing to you that that from a moral boost would be something you look at and think, how come? Why not me? All right. Watching the guy's hometown takes the biggest, uh, second biggest draw in the entire sport and retired him. Put the kind of a, a, a display on that retired a guy. We, you give him credit for that, right? That's all I'm suggesting. We give him credit for that. And he came out with a demand. I think an ultimatum might be a more appropriate word, but Gilbert called it a demand. Let me back Gilbert and just also call it a demand. And he laid out his case. He said, I've only told you yes. I have never questioned you, but now it's my turn to speak. It's my turn for you to listen. All these good deeds I've done have add up to something. And now I'm coming to cash in. I'm next for the title fight. And I'm not willing, I don't need something for nothing. I'm even willing and I'm going to go into training and go into the backup position. Allegedly, the fight with Leon and Colby is in England. I read that over the weekend. Don't hold me to that. And he's going to travel out there, work with their commission, do whatever it has to do, do his training, camp, pay all of his people, whether he gets a paycheck or not himself, and be in a position to do it. I mean, it sounds as though it's really hard to say no, It doesn't it? Because all of that's reasonable. Now, Gilbert said something else that was very beautiful. He said, I'm not going to pull other people down as a way of building myself up. And then he looked to Blahal Muhammad, just as an example. And he said, Blahal deserves it. But Lal has, has earned it. He's doing great things. I'm just arguing that I also have done great things. He didn't try to pull him down. It was interesting. Dana came out and said, I love it. Done deal. But... Right? There's a big but. Because I know that's a headline that you guys are reading. But but let's back that up and just be a little bit more specific. Dana White is at a press conference, okay? He's not asking questions, he's answering questions. So somebody asks him a question, somebody tees him up. And with that question, there were two folds to it. Can he be the backup fighter? Can he be next? Dana said, yes, it's a done deal. And if we were just trying to clarify to which part did he just agree? I think he agreed to the backup position. I don't know that he agreed overall. I just think that's something you have to deal with later. And generally, that's the answer you get. Hey, we'll deal with that later. We'll get to that. But, but let me tell you why. Right now, per rumors, and we all believe this rumor to be true, they're trying to get Blahal and Rachmanov in there. Now, that is iron on top of iron. That is a guy with an argument to number one contendership versus a guy that's 16 and 0. They're, they're both, they're willing to put a lot on the line. They're going to want something out of it. You can't give them that something if it's already been given. If prior to having a bout agreement signed with the fight that you want to get, you give a number one contendership over here, which in this case would be to Gilbert, how are you going to get these guys into the ring? So I'm just taking a, I'm just taking a good look at that because I, I would be curious how that worked. Gilbert Burns is a great choice. Period. Rachmanov, we should probably start giving a look to at 16-0. Blahal Mohammed, we're constantly considering. Like, all of these guys are in a really good and really powerful spot. Generally, much like in a court of law, the reason defense gets to go last is whoever has the final say has a leg up 
So the fact that Blahal and Rachmanov are, are still to come automatically gives them an advantage. Now you got to get a calendar out. Because we can do them all, right? It's not as a matter that, that we can't, everybody can't get a shot. But you get a calendar out and you start looking and you start looking at a logjam and then you got to come back to the fighter who is a prize fighter. Which means if he sits around and wait, he's not getting a prize. And it just starts to be tough, right? It starts to turn in one of those positions of careful what you ask for because you just might get it. If you get what's next between two guys that aren't even booked and you're going to sit on ice and you're going to wait, what if one of them gets hurt? Do you wait Do you wait another eight months until he's back? Maybe, maybe. I'm just sharing with you that things can change very quickly. And when we make statements in this sport, we're only as good as the information that we have right now. Rachmanov versus Blahal doesn't appear to be done. And I don't know what's waiting. I don't, I don't know what's holding that up. I, I have no idea. Maybe, maybe it's on its way and nothing's holding it up. But maybe there is something. Because we've sure heard about this a while. And if you want me to fight, you we have that done in way less than three seconds. You could send a text, and I'd see, and that's it. So something appears to be holding this up. Well, well what if Gilbert Burns gets hips to that and says, you know what, whoever, whoever is, pull him. Pull him and I'll put me in. I'll take on Blah, or I'll take on Rockman. But now you don't have an argument anymore. Obviously, whoever wins that is going to be the number one contender. So I'm only suggesting for you there's a number of ways to play this. And even what Gilbert Burns wanted, he might change his mind in a couple of days. If he's confronted with some new information that he had not previously considered. So let's see what happens there. There's a lot of room. There's a, there's a lot of excitement. But, but there's also good reason and good motivation for the top welterweights to continue to agree to compete with each other. Raul Rosas Jr., good fighter. It's a good fight. I hadn't seen a lot of him. I read all about this young man, but I didn't see him. I thought he was 17. Now, I still think that I'm right about that. When they brought him on Dana White Contender Series, he must have been 17 because when he walked out on Saturday, he was 18. But I seem to remember somewhere in my mind him being a minor and he was fighting. I remember seeing an article on this. Because they even talked about what the commission had to do as it pertained to his parents and things that they had assigned. And that's a lot of details for me to remember for it not to be true. And quite frankly, if he's 18, there's no story. He becomes the youngest, but there's no story there. You, you either took a high school kid that's the youngest guy and it's almost like a Roberto Duran story or there's no, there's no headline here, in my opinion. Now, I only bring that to you because you've got this young guy. And boy, guys, he's good. He's good. Regardless of what you saw, he's good. He was doing a shot to what we call a reshot. Now, that is a very high-level college-type technique. To use your first shot, which gets stuffed, but instead of getting frustrated and starting over, like every jiu-jitsu guy and every MMA guy on earth, you have a wrestler's mindset, which is the first shot is just to get me close enough to take the second shot, which is I'm only doing to set up the one that's going to work, which is my third shot. It's called chain wrestling. Very difficult to do. It is the most exhaustive thing that you can do in the sport from a cardio standpoint. And this game of I touch you and you don't touch me, at the same time as being played with, I take your energy while I preserve mine. So I bring that to you because he did get tired. And he broke and he quit. That's what happens when you reach exhaustion. Now, I bring his age into this. Because with age, we're also talking about inexperience. Where does he go from here? 
That was a lesson. That was a lesson in life that very few people get taught. Many of you have seen it. You've witnessed it. Very, very few of you have ever gone through it. I mean, why would you? Why would you? What is it that you would have done that would have put you in a position where you were fighting for your life with every bit of energy you have and a consequence if you didn't do it? There is a consequence of a guy dropping elbows on your skull. There is a consequence of him grabbing your neck and strangling you. There's a consequence. So why would you ever have experienced it, right? I don't say it to condescend. I said it to open your eyes so that you, you can really be aware of this. Because it, it is the most vulnerable position that young man has ever been in. And for the rest of his time on this earth, that will be the most vulnerable position he's ever been in. How does he deal with it? I have seen equal amount of guys use that as a springboard, as a lesson, and catapult themselves up. But I have seen just as many get to that point and realize, I never want to be there again. You feel so helpless, so scared, so worried, so out of them. You're just hanging on. You're not even trying to win. You openly are not trying to win. You are just trying to survive. It's very rare. You saw 11 fights on Saturday night. You did not see another opponent have to do that. It was only him. So is he going to look at it? Because you got to understand, right? He's been training for 10 years, right? Let's just do the math. He's been training for 10 years. So in 10 years of intense training, his cardio is of such that he can go hard for five minutes. There's 10 more minutes in these fights. 20 more minutes if he makes it to where he wants in the championship fights. But you see the problem? 10 years of training where he's at is he's good for five minutes. So what do you do? Is it, is, do we need another decade? And if we do and we do everything, we do another decade, then he can get to 10 minutes because we still got a minimum of 15, right? I mean, do you see where this becomes a problem? Now, the other side of the coin is it just becomes an understanding. It does not matter how hard you prepare, you will top out. Doesn't matter how hard you run, you will top out. Doesn't matter how much you lift, you will top out. Doesn't matter how much you sleep or what you eat on nutrition, you're going to you're going to reach your, your your max. Everybody's got one. Everybody's got a ceiling. You now have to find a way to take that five minutes of energy that we saw in the first round and extend that over fifteen. And that's where the game comes in. I do not need to go out and destroy you in the first round. I just need to beat you. That's it. That's what a 10-9 is. And now I can come out in the second round and I can just barely beat you. But now I've used the same amount of energy. The same energy that I used to absolutely control you, absolutely dominate you. I could have extended and done enough to beat you. Getting to the third round, I got a little bit left to protect myself and run out the clock. This is how you start to win a match. Now, Dan Gable is the first athlete who brought conditioning, brought the idea of conditioning as a tactical standpoint in sport. He did it in the 1972 Olympics. And all of his teammates saw to saw how hard he trained and saw that he was weaponizing pace. And they took those ideas and took them all around the country and started building this up through wrestling programs. Eventually, got into football programs. They quit calling timeout. They get right back to the line. Quit calling timeout. Quarterback calls up and get right back to the line. They just got other teams tired. Seems very obvious to you guys, but I am going to trace it back to Dan Gable because it's very important. If he's the one that started it, then what he thinks most certainly matters. And Dan Gable said about himself, I used to just go as hard as I could. Non-stop pace, but eventually I had to learn how to win a match. Going hard does not get you points. That was Coach Gable's message. Outworking your opponent doesn't get you points. 
And this game is predicated on a score differential. Which means no matter how good a shape you win, you have to do some things to get points. You have to know when to shut down. You got to know when to control real estate, when to grab a wrist, when to get a breath. And those are just the things that Rosa doesn't yet know. In his mind, with the resistance that he's felt in his experience leading to this, it was very little. In his mind, with his experiences, he can go 100%. And that guy won't still be standing. And now he's learned that that energy has got to extend. And in many other sports, you will see a variation of what I'm talking about. Usain Bolt, by example, has been in the lead in track and field. He's looked back, seen the competition, and you watch him. You watch him pull up. He doesn't give it his all. Why wouldn't he give it his all? Why wouldn't he just get from this point to that point as fast as he possibly can? That would seem to make a level sense. Well, he wanted to save some energy. That's why. He doesn't need to beat these guys by two seconds. He just needs to beat those guys. And it's a very important lesson in life. I see people do it all the time. I see it in show business. I see promoters do it within this sport. They want to put on the absolute best show they can. You don't need to put on the absolute best show you can. You got to put on a show that's absolutely better than your competition. You got more bullets in the chamber. Save them. Save the money. Save the effort. Wait until they rise up. It's, it's one of these things. And where is Rosa going to go? That's the battle that he's going to have to ask himself right now. He is not going to want to get to back to that point. But is that enough to make a guy check out? Is that enough to, to, to fear a guy? Right, A combat athlete's biggest fear isn't losing. His biggest fear is exhaustion. Rosa had never got there. He'd never been that exhausted. Now he has. It's a learning lesson. I will tell you guys, he's very good. Very good. Very good techniques. I love that pressure that he has. But when he puts that pressure and he gets on top of a guy and he's winning the round, sometimes you've got to understand that. To win a, to win a round by a whole bunch still gets you a 10 and it gets him a 9. To win a round by a little bit gets you a 10 and it gets you a 9. That's the game that you got to play. He's got to learn to extend. Make that battery last. That's the lesson that he learned on Saturday. Alright guys, that's it for today's episode. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. In fact, if you did like it, then I urge you to submit a review on Apple Podcasts or give me a five-star rating on Spotify. And then come back for more top-tier MMA analysis from me on Friday. And tell that I'm Chael Sonnen. And you are welcome.